this is always fun. All right, we're going live. We're very much live. We are super live. We are live and we are here direct with everybody. Very happy to be in our meetup. I believe this is officially announced as meetup number 91. If I'm mistaken, if it's meetup number 92, I apologize. But when you get to so many meetups, just gets a little bit difficult to keep track. A um, couple of things before we get started. Data on Kubernetes community will be celebrating the DOK Day uh, very, very soon in Los Angeles. Uh, we were talking about that earlier, different ways of pronouncing that word. So if you have not signed up already, it's totally free. It's very easy to sign up. We've already got 2,000 people that have signed up. Don't worry, but we have capacity for everybody. All right, no one's going to be left out. Very easy to get involved. Uh, we've got a bunch of talks planned for that. We still got a couple of panels that we're going to be telling folks about. We got a big announcement that's coming out tomorrow. No spoilers, not going to tell anybody. We also have on October 6th next week, we have the DOK Students Day. So if you're more on the beginner side, just getting started out with data on Kubernetes, we'll be having about 30 talks, 25 of which will be given by students, most of whom have never given a talk before. So that's also a very exciting day for us. It's the first time we'll be doing, not the, and definitely not the last, doing a DOK Students Day. So very excited about that too. Now, for today, we're gonna to be talking about an operator. Not the first time we've talked about operators. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the Apache Druid operator, but more importantly, with an extremely friendly, intelligent person, works for Data Reels. His name is Adip Singh. He was also telling me some other names that he has, but we can get into that later. Adib, it's very nice to have you with us today. Can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what we're going to learn about today with you? Thanks, Matt, for the nice intro. No so, problem. My name is Adib Singh, and uh, I'm currently based in Bengaluru, India. Uh, I've been working on to Kubernetes uh, since like 1.3 was released, so pretty familiar in this uh, ecosystem. Uh, my current company- Really, 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 qu really quickly, if, if folks don't know, when was version 1.3? Uh, like, I guess two and a half years back. Oh, that's pretty um, good. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty like OG, like original, you know, like you, you have a good amount of experience and that's cool. Good. Yeah, it was approximately in 2018, I guess, which uh, when I started with that. Um, yeah, the, I, I work for Real Data, uh, which is a Apache Druid uh, managed platform, a SaaS platform for Druid. So my day-to-day -day role is mostly around uh, Kubernetes uh, development of the operator in Go and running basically big data pipelines on Kubernetes. So a lot of stateful sets and data being uh, ran on Kubernetes. Wow, and, that's, that's perfect yeah. for our community. That's exactly what we wanna hear that is music to my ears. Um, and talking about that, what, what are some of the challenges of working with big, you know, getting big data pipelines on Kubernetes? Is it difficult? Yes, it's extremely uh, challenging and difficult. Um, that's why operators are for solving those problems. Otherwise, you know, you could just simply run Helm and stateful sets. Um, the mainly challenge of uh, running big data is uh, they were not like kind of designed to run on Kubernetes and containers. So you need to kind of build a bridge between what your application wants and what Kubernetes interprets. And you want to build that logic inside. Uh, US, you want to build that logic, right? So it's like uh, Kubernetes does not understand, hey, I'm scaling a Druid pod or a Kafka pod. It just knows I'm scaling a pod. So, but the ways of scaling, the ways of handling certain edge cases are different. So you want to build that application logic inside Kubernetes. So that's where the operator comes in. So it's basically more of reconciling what you want and how can we done on Kubernetes? So that's where the challenge lies. And plus stateful sets always have their own challenge and uh, you know data in different parts of 
the cloud environment, different zones, and how do you handle all of those uh, stateful set deletions, persistent volume claims? Uh, it's like uh, you know you you use different kinds of storage classes uh, when provisioning PVCs, so all of them have their own challenges when you want to run uh, things on scale. So yeah, that's what uh, I, I've been kind of working on for, I guess, uh, past one year with, with RIL. So it's been great and challenging altogether. Yeah, very good. So we'll probably be unpacking a little of this as we go on. And like I said, operators is a pretty you know solid topic that we've had occur again and again, looking at all the different operators that are out there, seeing you know, the, the process of building an operator, do you have the staff that can dedicate the time that's necessary to do that? How long is it going to take you? What is the value that it's going to be provided? Seeing all this, this sort of operator ecosystem is interesting. And then also thinking about if not operators in the future, what might there be? But we can get to those questions later. So if you want to share your screen right now, just as a reminder to folks in the audience, feel free to ask questions whenever you want in the chat, and we'll be uh, happy to answer them accordingly. Yeah, I hope my screen is visible. It looks great, yes. <laughs> yeah, so um, Apache Build on Kubernetes, so I'll just quickly go with the agenda, what, what I have for today. So we'll do an intro of what Apache Druid is, um, what are the, how and when to extend Kubernetes, uh, whether I should use a Helm on an operator. So this is one of the most common questions you get asked. And, and what is the difference between an operator and a controller? Introduction to the Druid operator, then how do you scope the Druid operator? Uh, you know, watching namespaces and all that stuff. Then how, understanding the Druid CR, like how is this CR scoped off? And then some of the operator's features, like how does it handle orphan PVCs? How can you scale Druid nodes vertically? Volume expansion, um, what are Kubernetes finalizers? Lowering upgrade of Druid nodes. Uh, we also have a small kubectl Druid plugin to help with uh, managing the Druid CR. There's also a Druid Kates extension, which uh, kind of removes the dependency on Zookeeper. So a brief intro about that and something about how we are running Apache Druid and Kubernetes at Druid. So what is Apache Druid? Uh, Apache Druid, it's a real-time analytics database designed for fast slice and dice analytics on large data sets. It's columnar. It's OLAP, it's an Apache Foundation project. It's been almost, it's been quite popular uh, in the OLAP query system. And most common use cases are, uh, you know, clickstream analytics, risk fraud analysis, server metric storage. So how basically Druid is designed is that um, it has like five or six nodes. And like, uh, to run a Druid cluster, you require a minimum of five nodes. And it has various uh, uh, various ways of ingesting data. So it, it has a lot of connectors. You can ingest data into using Kafka, using HTTP, using S3. So it basically supports real time and batch both. Um, so yeah. So I'll just go through the build architecture a bit. And so basically, this architecture is what the operator deploys on Kubernetes. So build is divided into like. Uh, on a higher level into three servers, master, query, and data servers. Uh, it also has external dependencies, which is the metadata store, the zookeeper, and the deep storage. So deep storage is where all your 
it's it's like an object storage where all your data is kept safe uh, zookeeper is generally uh, used for um, you know leader election and uh, service dis service discovery whereas metadata storage keeps the record of your metadata so it can be a sql or a postgres uh, middle managers and historicals are the data nodes so whenever you kind of submit a spec to a drivd cluster to kind of ingest the data the middle managers are responsible for indexing it so they kind of run those tasks in real time you can as soon as a basically uh, a task spec is submitted once the ingestion starts you can query that data so that's what like drivd is popular for real time and once that data uh, goes to deep storage it's like a segment it's immutable in nature that segment is pulled onto historical nodes and kept in disk for query so you can kind of segregate your historical data into hot cold and into further tiers uh, routers route your queries to the brokers and brokers further query either the middle manager or the historical depending upon where your data is uh, master servers are basically coordinators and overloads so coordinator handles all the coordination between all the drivd components and you can also run coordinator and overload inside a single pod so that's what uh, we have been kind of running along so yeah this is the drivd architecture so uh, now we want to run drivd on kubernetes and now the point comes in when and how can i extend the kubernetes and why should i so in terms of drivd or in terms of any uh, i'll say uh, big data uh, you know uh, big data systems they are complex and they were not designed to run on kubernetes so you want to make sure that kubernetes understands application specific knowledge kubernetes does not know i am running a drivd node or i am running a drivd pod it just sees everything as a pod or a stateful set or as a deployment so you want to build a bridge between your what your application understand and what kubernetes understands so the operator is basically a reconcile loop it's basically a state management which kinds of uh, sees hey what have you what is your current state and uh, what is your desired state so it basically makes a transition between those two so kubernetes gives us a lot of options to extend uh, you can extend by using a custom api server which is again the api aggregation layer all together where you'll have your own api server and your own etcd so that's uh, Uh, it's it's a very big uh, thing to you know build out uh, in terms of drivd we have a custom resource definition which is a crd group version kind you can use those um, custom schedulers if you want to have some one of you know your own scheduling algo in terms of scheduling pods admission webhooks uh, something about admission webhooks whenever you kind of do a kubectl get pods it goes through authentication authorization and admission control so once your request is authenticated it it gets authenticated through your you know uh, x509 sets on your cube config then it gets authorized through rbac and then it gets uh, there is an admission controller right so you can have two types there are two types which is validating and mutating webhooks so you can have your own validation and mutating webhooks accordingly and then the request basically goes to the hcd and gets persisted as a manifest uh you can also have your own cloud control managers i guess uh google cloud has its own aws has its own and these are basically and again uh operators controllers kind of you know i can i can just submit a manifest to kubernetes and it will provision as three bucket for me so those kinds of uh, controllers 
Custom controllers are basically typical, um, you know, uh, in shared informers hooked together, and they are usually, um, you know, any any one of your custom use cases, you know, if if an image is any any images running on your uh, on your uh, Kubernetes cluster, you want to validate it, so you'll kind of just scan that image. So something like you know, uh, basic custom controllers. So um, this is one of the questions which in even in the community we get asked often that what's when should we use should we use a Druid Helm chart or a Druid operator and you know what's the difference between those two? So it's not uh, so the answer uh, I feel is you need to use both, uh, leverage both of them. Uh, understanding that Helm is a basically it's a configuration management for templating large manifests, right? You can, it's just a templating tool. What Helm does not do, it does not maintain the state of the application. So once I've deployed Helm upgrade install, that's it. After that, it's the Kubernetes job to, you know, just make the manifest into uh, its native objects. Uh, what Helm does have, Helm has a revision number for each Helm chart it deploys and it is useful for rollbacks. Helm helps in version controller of the charts. You can have your own application and your own charts, uh, you know, bundled together. So what the operator does is operator maintains the state of the application, right? Operator is again, as I said, it's a bridge between Kubernetes and the application. So ideally you would, in this scenario, what you would want is that um, the CR can be templated out as a Helm chart and can be applied and the operator can reconcile that CR. And at the same time, you can, if, if, if that CR is, is not appropriate or you want to roll back, you can use Helm to roll back, the operator will again reconcile the state. So this is what we have been using in, in real, and this is like pretty helpful in, um, in, in managing our configurations. So yeah, as I said, both, both can be leveraged to the best of the, their use cases. Um, yeah, operator versus controller. So operator is just a word coined to, it, is, it was a word coined by, I guess, uh, yeah, CoreOS, uh, as if I remember correctly. And operators can have basically multiple controllers within them. And controller is like the core component, like you have deployment controller, stateful set, endpoint controller. So each Kubernetes object has a controller because each Kubernetes object has its own definition, which is a group, a version, and a kind. I'll get to those later. So controllers are a core component in the Kubernetes. So if you see this uh, for, for loop. So basically what a controller does or an operator does, it gets the desired state, which is your custom resource, gets the current state and then the reconcile loop kinds of make sure the desired and the current is what is interpreted in terms of all the objects deployed. So operators more specifically will watch custom resource definitions, whereas controllers in, in a generic term can, you know, they can, they can be generic. They can just talk to native Kubernetes object without having a custom resource definition or you need to apply a manifest. So that's the only, only uh, differentiator. Apart from that, mostly operators and controllers are same. They can be packaged together. And that's well, what the Druid operator does. One thing really quickly. Uh, one of our speakers one time said that CRD is his favorite feature on Kubernetes. Do you agree in yes or no is fine? And if not, what is your favorite feature? Yeah, so yeah, CRD is, is, is of course one of the favorite features. Um, 
so kubernetes gives you various like when you want to start development into kubernetes it gives you various options to start you know introspecting the code base you can develop cni plugins you can develop uh, api servers schedulers so i found that controllers are a fun to you know start off with and when you kind of uh, work on controllers eventually you will of course work on crds so they are the most i'll, I'll say most uh, easiest way to extend kubernetes quick fast and plus a lot of frameworks are already available with the uh, you know few builder and operator sdk so yeah definitely perfect so intro to the druid operator so what is the druid operator it's uh, it was a it, it's in druid dot uh, it's in druid hyphen io repo and it's been almost 2 years since the operator was open sourced um i've been contributing to this operator since uh, I, i guess it was like 2 weeks old so have seen initially you know we we it, it was using the operator sdk framework and then it later went to cube builder um it's it's built in golang um golang is like it's it's like the primary language for when you need to do, you know develop and extend kubernetes all because um all the you know the, the frameworks and kubernetes itself is written in go so it it kinds of helps in uh development um so the group version kind as i was saying uh, is dude.apache.org uh, version is v1 alpha and kind is dude so the, what the kind is is what the reconcile loop or the operator kinds of looks for it says like hey i have an manifest with kind dude i'll now reconcile it i'll reconcile the state so it kinds of reads through the manifest and creates all the objects um group is dude.apache.org same way you have apps.apps v1 stateful sets where your stateful set is the kind and apps is your group and version is v1 so same way you have a custom resource definition according to your use case druid operator can enable provisioning it can management and scaling of complex druid clusters up to n nodes so you can keep on adding your druid nodes and the operator will keep on creating them and scaling them out um the how the operator runs it just runs as a deployment and you can you, uh, we have helm support for that for that installation to create druid clusters operator needs a custom resource which the druid operator shall reconcile so it's like uh, crd then you create a cr out of you know the crd is the main crd is the spec you submit to api extensions api which is the primarily uh, group to extend kubernetes extensions so scoping the druid operator is is something which is uh, like when you when you want to do a deployment what do you like you want the operator to watch a single namespace or you want the operator to watch multiple namespaces so as of now the operator uh, supports to watch single namespace and it also has another feature known as deny list so what you can do is um, i want to watch all the namespaces but cube system default abcd namespace so the deny list is basically it's it's predicates which will filter the namespace events uh, from being enqueued into the worker queue so i'll i'll kind of go over the last line in the diagram i have a diagram to you know just to show how the predicates and the worker queue works but uh, so the operator is kind of, uh, the watching multiple namespaces is still in is in, uh, in in a pull request should be merged soon i have tested it out on my clusters so looks good to be uh denial list can be used as i was saying uh, if you want to exclude certain namespaces that hey you can watch everything but not these namespaces so you have three options to scope the druid operator to so 
Drilled custom resource is what is the CR, right? So you can create multiple CRs and depending upon how your operator is scoped, it will watch all of them and it will deploy. So Druid operator supports Druid deployment only in a distributed mode. So that means all your historicals, coordinators, overloads will be deployed as separate pods, not into one. Uh, Druid has a quick start.sh and uh, you know all those uh, testing uh, capabilities where you deploy everything in a VM, one VM itself, but the operator does not have any of those modes. It will only deploy it in a distributed mode. So the Druid CR can be scoped into like, the, how the CR is defined is you have key value pairs specific to all nodes and key values common to all nodes. So let's say I have, I want to define uh, image. So image is let's say Apache is Druid uh, 0.220, right? That image can be common to all your nodes, all your five or six nodes you're deploying, or this can be specific to five or six nodes where you want like, hey, this image should only go to historicals where I want to have a different image for middle managers, right? So you have the option to scope them out as and when you need, like it's, it's, it's user-friendly, the spec. Uh, Drill nodes can be deployed as stateful sets as well as deployment. So initially the, how the operator was written was it was only supporting stateful sets where everything was deployed as a stateful set. But now you have the option of uh, deploying stateful sets as well as deployments. So what is stateful set in nature is historicals and middle managers. They are stateful set in nature. They need persistence to, uh, to store the segments and store the data. Whereas brokers, coordinators, and routers, they don't uh, need much of a persistence and they can be just used as deployments. So you can, uh, you can use either. So you just need to mention kind in your node spec. So once you mention kind, it can be stateful set or a deployment, but the dude operator defaults to creating stateful set. So you need to explicitly mention deployments. So how does validation happen of the Druid CR? So if I'm submitting a Druid CR, what if my image is not mentioned? And if your image is not mentioned, what will the operator do without an image? So you need to validate the CR which is coming in. So we operator has both. It has a schema-less CRD. It has a schema-CRD. The schema-less CRD does internal validation. So the it will be validated on the reconcile loop. Whereas on the Kubernetes API level, there is an open API schema, which will kind of validate your CRD to make sure uh, it's appropriate for the operator to reconcile. So yeah, handling of orphan PVCs. So this was one of the uh, features which we saw at uh, while, while running the operator at rail and kind of built this. So uh, a common example is like you kick off ingestion in Druid, right? It's like uh, uh, when, when, when you want to load data into Druid, you want a lot of like you provision like 50 or 100 odd middle manager nodes and kind of scale them out to n number. And when you kind of scale middle managers to let's say 100 pods, so it's like 100 stateful, uh, 100 pods are running, which are 100 replicas of one stateful set is running. And when the ingestion is done, those pods are of no use. So you will kind of scale them down back to one. And in that, whenever a scale down happens, those persistent volume claims, which are provisioned by the stateful set, they are orphaned and they are of little or no use. They're just like, you know, adding storage costs. So in, 
at at those kind of uh, in those kind of scenarios you want them to get cleaned up so what the operator does it it will see that if in your particular uh, in your cr if you have defined a middle manager and any of the pvcs are orphaned it will clean them up so this feature is optional default is set to false uh, so to enable it you just need to set it to true read delete orphan pvc that's the key and it's a boolean so the operator will handle deletion of orphan pvcs um another uh, feature which we again it it uh, like you know running druid on on kubernetes came up that uh, scaling druid nodes vertically um so the historical nodes it comes up uh, mostly with them can be scaled horizontally as well as vertically there are some scenarios druid specific scenarios where you don't want to scale your nodes horizontally and you would like to add more of storage to them so example is um, i have historical nodes of size 30 gi and you know i want to add more i want to add 20 gigs of more uh, storage to it so in this kind of scenario what happens is uh, stateful sets don't allow change in volume claim template so if you see that you cannot directly edit a stateful set and say hey increase uh, in in the volume claim templates the increase from 30 to 50 the stateful set will error out and kubernetes does not allow this so earlier without this feature it was a manual intervention and you know you had to do your own uh, kind of a hack work around so this feature was then once it was built into the operator so what the operator does it performs a cascade deletion of the stateful set and patches the size of the pvcs owned by the stateful set so once i submit in in my cr once i change it to let's say 50 gi from 30 gi so what the operator will do it will see that hey there is a change in the desired and the current size so it will what it will do is it will delete the stateful set it will not delete it it will perform a cascade deletion which means that when your stateful set is deleted it is it is just orphaning your persistent volume claims it is not uh, orphaning your pvcs as well as orphaning your pods so it is not uh, cleaning up your pods at that particular point when there is no stateful set your pods are still serving requests they can still serve traffic to your um, to your druid cluster so on the next reconciliation the operator each time on reconciliation it does create a new stateful set so it will create it so this is a work in progress pr it's almost done we have been testing it in internally at rail so it just needs to be merged so yeah you'll see that soon in the main branch of the operator so yeah so the next thing is um, druid operator finalizers so finalizers is again it's a um, kubernetes concept where it you want to run pre deletion hooks which alert the controller to clean up resources the deleted object zone so a typical example of a finalizer is i am running a pod with the pvc mounted on it and that pod is owned by a stateful set so if i delete that pvc if you see that pvc goes into terminating state but does not get deleted so if you do a hyphen oyaml of that particular pvc you will see that in the metadata there is a deletion time step set and there is a finalizer also present on that pvc so that means that till the time you don't clean up your stateful set pvc will not be cleaned because it's being 
already used by a pod. So same way, what our use case for the operator was whenever we delete delete clusters, uh, a large delete cluster can run like you know uh, lots and lots of nodes, lots and lots of stateful sets, PVCs. So it's like uh, you know 50 or 60 PVCs are running, and you delete a, a delete cluster. And at that particular point, all your PVCs are orphaned, and only PVCs are left. So what the operator does is it makes sure that whenever you issue a delete to the CR, a deletion timestamp is set and the operator will make sure it clears the stateful sets, it clears the PVCs and the whole drift cluster is cleaned up without leaving any Kubernetes objects uh, pending or fund on your particular namespace. So this feature is default you can turn it off by setting a flag on your CR, but by default, this is how the operator behaves. Um, Dude operator rolling upgrades. This is uh, again, a very useful feature, which is uh, in the operator. So rolling upgrade in typical terms can be, I want to roll out a new image of Druid. Um, I want to upload you know, uh, I want to change the common runtime properties. So what happens is uh, Druid operator gives you two options. Either you can upgrade your cluster in parallel, which means that all the nodes will get upgraded at the same time, or you can do a sequential rolling restart or a rolling upgrade in parallel. So what the operator does it, it uh, as, per, as per Druid documentation and uh, as per Druid docs, it's defined that uh, these historical overload middle manager indexer broken coordinator router, these are the uh, these are the order in which uh, Druid needs to get upgraded, and so the operator will kind of make an array of these uh, uh, of these all these nodes, and at each iteration, it will upgrade these nodes. So. Operator also waits. It it also has a it also has a function which is an object fully deployed, so which means that it will always wait for the object to get fully deployed and then move on to the next node. So for example, I'm I'm upgrading historical, and at a particular point due to ABC reason, the historical pod goes into crashing state, and at that point, I don't want to move to overload middle manager, which will you know that 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 same uh, that same faulty spec can lead to, uh, you know, my whole cluster can go into a bad state. So what the operator will do, it will just halt that can that uh, it will just halt at that particular point, and it will wait till a user intervenes and kind of fixes that uh, faulty error in the CR. So that's how the operator does rolling upgrades. So uh, pretty pretty useful rolling upgrades and. Um, we have been using it uh, internally, so haven't seen any issues so far. So yeah, a um, lot of lot of us has been talked about the Druid operator and how how things are working. So at this point, I'll just like to introduce a certain um, diagram on 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 how the Druid operator and the controller works. So if you see. Um, as I was saying, right, operator is also a controller. So we have a Druid controller and we have a manager. Manager is, so yeah, a manager is basically a controller runtime, how it, the library which the operator uses underneath. So 
few projects which the operator is using is cube builder which was used to scaffold the operator and uh, cube builder uses controller runtime library to you know to build out all the reconciliation loop so it's like um, i guess uh, we are not following all the semantics of cube builder it's just that the dude operator is bit uh, it's one of the you know a complex operator so we have our own internal client as well as the upgrade pattern is a bit different from the de facto uh, as per cube builder talks so uh, yeah I'll, I'll quickly go through the dude controller what what the first thing is uh, whenever you create a custom resource right as i was mentioning you have a group version you have a schema builder and you do an add to a scheme so the, the that crd right uh, group version kind that needs to be it needs to follow a particular scheme of the of the q kubernetes api so you kind of uh, register that scheme with the api server which is done in the uh, manager so informers are another uh, concept in the controllers where uh, whenever an operator is making an api call you don't want it you know always to call the kube api you know just to list pods to get pods to delete stateful sets you know a number of things so dude informer is basically a cache which the operator uh, which the basically the uh, you know the controller uses to query um, the controller runtime has its own client uh, which can which basically reads from the cache and it can write directly to the api server um, there is a watcher and there is a predicates event filtering so whenever an event comes it can go through a list of predicates in the druid operator specific we are using um, the predicate to filter out namespaces so what the denial list was so if, if you are watching all the namespaces the operator and um, you have a denial list for let's say cube system and default and in that particular scenario you go and apply a cr in default namespaces though you don't want it to reconcile so in that case the operator will kind of just filter it out before sending it into the worker queue so all items in the worker queue are basically of name and namespace name is your cr and namespace is wherever your whatever the operator is spoke to and is watching so this uh, the the events come to the reconcile loop which is where i've defined what is the root controller so what the first thing the operator does it it validates the cr then it creates a list of druid nodes each node having a node type so each node having a node type is basically that historicals is of a node type historical middle managers are of node type middle managers so basically it is a map of a string to a node spec which means your string can be anything you can have middle manager 1 middle manager 2 middle manager 3 that means it will be like three stateful sets whereas each node type will be of middle manager so whatever decisions the operator makes is on the basis of the node type and if you don't have a node type mentioned in your cr the operator will not reconcile it will throw an error uh yeah then the operator what it does it it creates config map service deployments and all the kubernetes objects which is needed for the druid controller to run so all your common runtime dot properties runtime dot properties which are specific to druid nodes are created as config maps these config maps are mounted onto druid pods from where the druid runs uh, you know reads its all its configurations from um 
the operator also has uh, internal client which uh, you if you go into the operator repo it has an interface.go where there is a reader and a writer interface now there is also an emitter interface to emit metrics and events so the internal client interface kinds of talks has a has the client the sdk client dot client embedded inside it and which uses uh, you know works in sync with the uh, sdk to do all the jobs so yeah this uh, might this is just a raw diagram which i had kind of built so yeah so yeah the next thing is kubectl root plugin um, so this was built due to uh, while while working on on root it was just uh, like uh, a Druid CR can go up to like, you know, 1500 to 2000 lines of YAML. And whenever you want to make a change, you don't want to, you know, scroll through that YAML file and, you know, make changes, which can be, uh, which can be a pain, right? Like 2000 lines of YAML scrolling them down. So in those kind of scenarios, what we did was we built a kubectl Druid plugin and we wanted to, let's say, if I want to scale middle managers to five, if I want to, scale them down up and I can just use the kubectl root plugin to do those operations. I don't need to edit the CR and change the replica counts. Um, so basically kubectl can be extended to write you know, custom plugins. So the root kubectl plugin is simplifying kubectl operations on the root CR. Uh, you can do update as well as patch operations. So you can update an image, you can patch your nodes, you can list all your nodes, you can list all your CRs, and it's it's like it has support for six to seven commands. So it's like pretty simple. So this um, so there was this extension, Druid Kates extension, which was uh, authored by one of the Druid, Druid PMCs, and um, Druid Kates extension was uh, basically Druid uses Zookeeper for service discovery. So once this extension is enabled, Druid, uh, you don't need Zookeeper. So what this does is Druid uh, Kates extension will use the Kubernetes API server for your node discovery and leader election. Um, what it needs to enable this extension, you need to add certain uh, common runtime dot properties. You need to add a few clients and your service account, Kubernetes service account, will need to have permissions on pods and config maps. So you might need to create a role and role binding. Uh, personally, I haven't uh, tested this on scale, but like on in my POC and stage environments, I've tested this extension and it, it seems pretty useful. Um, so there is this uh, example in the operator repo, which is still a pull request, it will merge soon. So those looking forward to test it can, you know, always leverage it. Yeah, so uh, Apache Druid and the Druid operator at real. So, at Rill, uh, we, we are heavily uh, invested into Kubernetes and Kubernetes operators. So we use an extended version of the Druid operator. It um, does pretty much of the heavy, uh, you know, heavy loading of running Druid clusters. Um, the operator is cluster scoped, means that it runs, it, it watches all the namespaces and I have a denialist to kind of seclude whatever, uh, uh, you know, namespaces which I don't want to use. Um, so we have like uh, real is a SaaS platform for Druid, so you know multiple Druid clusters with petabyte of data. Um, Helm is used to template out the CR, so all our uh, custom resources are templated out with Helm, 
and one supplied operator is responsible for managing the state of the CR and reconciling those. And once if a configuration goes wrong, so we can always use Helm to do a rollback and the operator will again, you know, uh, manage the state. Uh, operator metrics uh, at real VM to Datadog, but there is uh, support coming for operator metrics on for Prometheus. So there is a slash metrics endpoint on the operator, which will give you default operator metrics, which can, uh, you know, about how the worker queue performance is, uh, all the uh, Go GC stuff. So that can be used for monitoring as of now. So this is some of my, I just pinned out these learnings uh, in the past few years, I've, I've kind of, uh, you know, experienced out. So stateful sets, takeaways. So on deletion of a stateful set, PVCs don't get cleaned up. This is something which I've been talking about and the operator will use, uh, you know, it will it will make sure that those PVCs are cleaned up by, uh, the, by using the delete orphan PVC flag. Uh, PVCs can be expanded directly by editing, patching the PVC object. So if I want to scale my PVC from 30 to 50 GI, it can be done, but there is a pre-request side to it. Your storage class must support volume expansion. If your storage classes are not supporting volume expansion, uh, PVCs can't be expanded. If using local SSDs on Kubernetes, cluster autoscaler won't support scaling of the nodes. So we had tried out local SSDs at certain points, but uh, CA cannot scale them. So local SSDs, this is a, you know, a pinpoint uh, to be noted when, when anyone is trying to use local SSDs. Um, cascade deletion of stateful set, I use it pretty often. And whenever you do a cascade deletion, pods are offered and pods will still continue to serve requests. It's just that you need to recreate that stateful set. Deleting a PVC referenced by a pod directly will not be deleted and the finalizer shall come into play. So I would, I had previously just talked about it, that whenever you can try to delete a PVC, the finalizers will block it from, it, it will go into a terminating state, but it will not delete. So the stateful set will need to be deleted first. So that's what the, the deleted operator finalizes do. Stateful sets do ordered pod termination. Um, if I have, if I am running ten replicas of a stateful set, so uh, they will be named as my pod name hyphen zero one two three, and when I'm doing a rolling upgrade, that means the stateful sets will be ruled out in a fashion from ten nine eight seven six. So they'll go in this order. So it's an ordered pod termination. Um, whenever you try to update a stateful set. Like if you want to let's say update labels for stateful set, they'll, the Kubernetes API server will throw out an error. So apart from pod management policy and pod spec, the same stateful set cannot be updated. So you need to do a workaround to get that particular stateful set updated. So yeah, these are the key takeaways from the stateful sets, and this is my presentation. Over to you, Bart. All right. Very, very good, very complete, um, considering uh, the, the technical challenges there, but very well laid out in different parts. Now, a couple of things that I wanna know, um, just for, for starters, because we always like to do a little bit of comparing and contrasting. We look at the use of Apache Spark, for example, we see that being used in probably more cases than we see with Apache Druid. 
Why is that? And what is it that Apache Druid perhaps offers in those more niche use cases that Spark doesn't? Yeah. Um, so this is like more of a big data and a data engineering question. Um, so whatever in, in my knowledge, I'll try to answer it. Um, it's all good. No, no, of course. Just based yeah. on your experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Spark is, uh, is, is batch processing, whereas Druid is more of a real time and, um, you know, real time and batch both. So you can kind of ingest data through Spark on, in, in Druid. So that's kind of a pipeline which can be built. Uh, regarding Druid's uh, uh, Druid operator, it's like it was uh, recently released. Like it's been since you know it's, it's still gaining. Uh, it's still gaining. Uh, you know, uh, people are still kind of still on the way of trying to use it, trying to adopt it. So hopefully, this will kind of push more Druid deployments on onto Kubernetes. If that was your question. No, no, no. That's great. That's great. That's great. Just because let's like you know when we talk about uh, you know uh, if we're talking about you know Pulsar versus Kafka, you got like the the Kafka people, the Pulsar people, and you know they start fighting each other and disagreeing things yeah, like that. Yeah. No, no. But I think a lot of it just comes down to what is it that you're looking to do? What are your objectives? And then based on that, what's going to be the best way to line up? In terms of the developments that you've seen as someone who's been working with Kubernetes since you said version one point what? 1.3. Okay. In terms of the, you know, the changes that you've seen, the evolution, the development, the growth, what do you feel like Kubernetes is becoming friendlier to data or that that's still going to be a major challenge for the next few years? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. So when we say uh, bringing big data to Kubernetes, right, that's the ideal, you know, word, like the sentence to portray. Um, it's... Um, like um, I'll still say, like the 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 it's like the queue builder and the controller runtime have pretty much matured in a way to develop operators and like with all the scaffolding coming in with the, like I was saying like the manager and you know adding schemes. Like if you see initially uh, how the operator how controllers were written was you had to literally write down NQ and DQ functions at, on the worker queue to you know and then your informers and shared informers used to get hooked in. That event handlers used to be so that that kind of all that logic is now put inside controller runtime and it's pretty much easy to build uh, operators and and kind of do all the custom you know um, all the custom logic which you want to build uh, specifically for big data I still feel that you know there are there are certain things which can be improved like you know local SSDs don't support cluster autoscaler. Uh, some things to do with, uh, you know, mferl volumes and lot of, lot, there are a lot of things I can, which, which still can be improved there. So, uh, but yeah, like with the maturity of cube builder and controller runtime, things are becoming much more easier to uh, build operators so that we can just focus on our more business logic, which is specifically running Apache Druid on Kubernetes rather than hooking in informers, worker queues and handling all those uh, Kubernetes specific uh, things. Very good. So, you know, we, we kind of touch on this in different areas, but you, one of the things we ask a lot of speakers, we try to ask all of our speakers is, and in particular, someone that's seen the full range of challenges is that we look at one thing is what is running data on Kubernetes? How do you run data on Kubernetes? But then the other question is why do it? And so there are different reasons. And so one of the ones is to have, you know, one stack for everything, you know, kind of like one stack to rule them all to not have things in different places. Some will, will also argue for different reasons, the you know, security of certain kinds of data um, that's you know, for financial or healthcare or things like that, or government. 
Um, there are different ways of looking at it. But going back to the question of is, you know, uh, is Kubernetes ready for running stateful workloads? And if not, what are, what are the reasons that are stopping that? Is it a talent question? Is it a cost question? Is it a technology question? What do you think is the, the primary thing that's stopping more organizations from running stateful workloads on Kubernetes? Yeah, so um, of course, I, I'll be a bit biased towards Kubernetes uh, before answering this. Um, so it's like um, Kubernetes is, of course, uh, it, it's matured in a way that I, I guess most of the security concerns can be taken care of. If you have proper security context and all your uh, network policies in a, you know, managed in a pretty proper way. Um, what, um, what, what I, I feel can be, uh, you know, a pain is that though we are kind of building operators, controllers to simplify certain things, but they also add a level of complexity. So it's like, okay, I just, uh, you know, learned Helm and now it's like, oh, I need to even use operator and I need to package the operator with Helm. So mm -hmm. it, it then, it just kinds of builds and builds over it. But at the end of the day, if you try to see what you are benefiting from such things is, is uh, a huge, uh, is a huge gain. And I believe that uh, this uh, running all the big data pipelines on Kubernetes uh, is, is a bit complex, but uh, it, 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 in the long run is easier once you try to understand that you know literally your your scaling of scaling is one of the best uh, you know things which i've seen you know you can just do hey replicas to three to four and the pods come up pretty much fast and you know they're able to serve requests the same things if you see on vms might take a bit of time so those are the things which i feel uh, is is um, that's why you know and plus at real it's like we are we are 100 on kubernetes so uh we don't want to you know have some stacks running on vms some on kubernetes uh yeah and plus yeah the talent and the cost definitely add on it uh it, it, it's a niche i'll say it's a niche domain and it's more of a depth than a breadth domain when it comes to you know writing controllers and operators so no, i think those are all yeah, yeah, I think those are all very good points. And as you said, is that while for some folks it might be a little bit challenging right now, you've really got to be thinking this in a, in a long-term way. Considering that, for example, with just the, the what you mentioned about stateful sets, is that stateful sets are now, I think, about five years old in terms of when they arrived on the, the scene for Kubernetes. I think it was around 2015, 2016. And, and you know, there's some debate as to whether or not they've achieved the impact that they were designed to have. I'm just thinking about the future. Do you imagine that there are going to be more, you know, kind of managed uh, data services specifically for Kubernetes? What kind of features do you think we might be able to anticipate based on the kind of things that are going on right now? Yeah, so um, I, I'm not, I'm, I haven't like uh, looked into what, where, where the Kubernetes stateful sets, uh, you know, development or the KEPs are going into, but um, something which I'll definitely like to have is, uh, handling of uh, persistent volume claims in a much more easier way, uh, you know, like, you know, doing cascade deletions and hacking our way towards, you know, uh, getting things upgraded. Uh, of course, Kubernetes has a certain, like, uh, if, if, if stateful sets are not allowing us to do certain things, that's there because of a reason. It's not, uh, it's not like, you know, it was just built out. But yeah. the point is like for our use cases or some, you know, some edge use cases, it needs to perform those tasks and they don't have any effect on the application. So it's like, you know, that's where 
I, you know, it, it kinds of, uh, you want to make sure that things go in a certain fashion. So yeah, that's it from, I guess. No, that's good. That's good. Once again, we're, we're not, you know, gonna, we're not going to quote you on this and say, well, you know, Adib told us that this is what, how it's going to happen. Don't worry. We don't, we're not here to do that. But the thing is, we just want to get these conversations out in the open, you know, and, and, and also as, as a practitioner, I want to know in your particular case, as someone who is, we can kind of say has probably learned how to do this the hard way, what have been things that have been helpful for you along the way to be able to navigate the challenges of running, you know, big data pipelines on Kubernetes? Yeah. So um, the first thing was uh, to get like, like if anybody wants to start understanding this, uh, this domain, I'll say, uh, go to the sample controller repo on Kubernetes, which will help you get started on how controllers work, uh, not jump directly towards the SDKs because there are certain point times when you want to like, you really need to know that, you know, how the informers and the queues are working together. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much helpful. Uh, running big data on Kubernetes, it's 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 a it's a uh, it's a very fun, I'll say, way to you know, it it has its own charm of running these things. Uh, so there are a lot of operators. I'll say try to you know just start looking into the operators code base. Uh, Spark has its own. Uh, Streamzy for Kafka is there. Um, Banzai Cloud operators are there. Uh, see the trade operator. Try to get into the community. And uh, yeah, you can you can easily get started into then you know running uh, data on Kubernetes and good grasp of basics of stateful sets and how how Kubernetes you know creates. Uh, pods deployments and how you can extend Kubernetes, all all the things I guess which I explained should be uh, good to start through Helm versus Operator. Follow Adib's advice; it's very simple. Yeah. The easiest Just way. To do it. I mean, me, that's it. no, 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 but but really, as well too. Like we've done. This is meetup number ninety-one. I had to check because sometimes we we cancel one and we have to jump ahead and we come back and we do another one. And I've never seen slides that are so clear regarding all the different steps. So I really think this is a wonderful gift um, for different folks because a lot of times it's like, okay, trial and error, but you really, really put things in order. And so I really appreciate that because we have we have different um, kinds of practitioners in our community. Some people have more experience than others. Some people learn in different ways. Um, but I think this is really, really well laid out. That being said, can I get you to stop sharing your screen really quickly so I can share mine? Sure. So while we were talking, um, we have, as always, our partner in crime, Angel, who's lurking in the background in the shadows. Let me know when you can see my screen. Yes, I can. So he created a uh, he created this wonderful drawing while you were talking um, and trying to cover all the different sorts of things. And he even drew a druid where it says uh, druid operator because we were conversing in the background. Um, so anyway, just a nice depiction for us as, as a way to remember all the different things that you touched on. There were a lot of different things that were covered here. I hope if, if Apache, if anybody from Apache is watching this, you definitely need to hire Adib as a trainer. Um, because no, but seriously, very, very well explained. And particularly for a lot of concepts that are overwhelming for a lot of folks. Um, I really appreciate the way in which you explain things. So that being said, if people want to check you out, follow you in social media, or know more about the company where you're working at, anywhere they should go in particular? Yeah, you can ping me on LinkedIn anytime. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Keep that in mind. Uh, hope to see you in person at some point, whether it's in Spain, the United States, in Bengaluru, not Bangalore. Say it correctly like the local <laughs> people do. There are 8 million people who live there. I looked it up. It's a, like I said, 8 million people. Maybe it's more or less. It's just an estimate. But learn how to say things, you know, kind of the right way. A little bit goes a long way. Um, Adi, shukriya. How do I say that in, in Punjabi just so I can get that too? 
Yeah, it's like Tanvad. Oh, Tanvad. So it's completely different. Yeah. Okay, so it's not like yeah. a Okay, that's cool. So you got, okay, so Tanvad. So I learned that today. We all learned yeah. something. Um, we learned a ton about Apache Druid, but it's nice to end with some cultural notes as well. Thank you very sure. much for your time today. I hope we will see you in the future. And, and folks, if you haven't signed up for, for DOK Day and KubeCon, DOK Students Day, check that out. Contact Adip on LinkedIn. See all the cool stuff they're doing at Real Data. You have a great day. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Have Bye, everybody.